Welcome to Sounds Like Mike, the show that teaches you how to live a healthy, creative lifestyle and how to make your passion your job. I'm your host, Mike, and today we interview Ralph and Floyd Gonzalez. Together, Ralph and Floyd's work has been featured by GQ, Rolling Stone, and Red Bull, among many others. They're two creative workforces. One is a photographer, one is a videographer. And today we talked about working and collaborating with other creators, when it's okay or not okay to work for free, and the importance of separating your personal life from your work life. Filmmaking, photography, all of that stuff is literally a team sport. You yeah. can't do it solo without, in the end of the day, burning yourself out, driving yourself insane, and just being overworked to the max. We kind of just jumped into the conversation. So as far as introductions go, Ralph is the first guest to speak and Floyd jumps in a little bit later. Anyway, without further ado, let's jump into the podcast. Okay, so this is one thing I wanted to talk about is you guys do a lot of work together, but uh, you guys don't have like a website together as far as I know. You're not like a, a duo, but I mean, in a way you are. You're a duo behind the scenes. So like, why why did you choose to, why you guys solo acts, but you're, you know, like producing each other's stuff? Like, why is that? Well, I think the nice benefit of having our own solo work is that in case any of us, like either of us decide to like, diverge into niche mm -hmm. markets yeah. that it allows us that opportunity to do so and then kind of become experts in that field without having to kind of combine the brand together and just kind of say hey we're a package duo this way right right because if you if you are a package duo and you've been doing nothing but like let's say you know sports or like bike bike mm -hmm. work right and yeah. you've been doing that then that brand in your name gets associated with that that's fair. I feel like I'm in a similar situation, but almost like the opposite, where whenever I get work that comes in through something orange, I feel like obligated to, well, I have to like share it with Shay if it comes into the email, um, Shay, my business partner, um, which isn't a problem because it's coming in through our company, right? But it's gigs that essentially I could do on my own. And so it's sort of, we haven't really figured out the partnership aspect of it. Well, and, and that's the other side of it too, is like, you know, Floyd and I have our own contacts. We have mm -hmm. our own opportunities and projects that aren't together. Mm -hmm. And then that gives us that freedom to be able to either hire the other person out if we need to, if right. we feel like they're the best part or the best like option for that mm -hmm. uh, role. Yeah. But then it also gives us that opportunity to, to say like, you know, even for clients, especially on their end, if they see you as like an individual and as like a, um, a freelancer as a solo, yeah, then they see it as like an easier hire. Cause yeah. like I used to own a production company with three of my buddies and then we hired on and took on like four other people. Mm -hmm. So we had a full crew of like eight total. Yeah. And that was a far harder sell than I've ever anticipated in my life for like projects because every client when they hear, oh, it's like, yeah, we have like a crew of eight people. So we're really versatile of what we can do. Yeah. Expectations go up quality you know the idea of quality goes up mm -hmm. and the idea of like cost goes up too in their minds right so that becomes so much harder to sell and so when it came to me like pitching these projects out to a bunch of these like you know small businesses mm -hmm. no one would be biting for an eight-person crew right totally. especially when that eight-person crew everyone's still learning yeah so the idea of like having your own solo projects that you have like a roster of people to pull from that you know that they're experts at mm -hmm. hell yeah so I mean, like, on the other hand, too, um, I, I have kind of thought about building um, a more unified brand with us, us two yeah. together, just so it has, uh, when we're selling ourselves as a package, it can go under this uh, mm. company as opposed to me subcontracting you or the other way around, right? So I think there, there could be a benefit in, in creating some sort of unified uh, brand between both of us. Right. And I think that's still kind of in the works. It definitely, I feel like having both it works both ways yeah. and it's important. I think it's valuable to have both because there's those clients that are bigger that don't necessarily want to go for the mom and pop shop and you want to appeal to, you know, the bigger budgets and you're yeah. never going to get bigger budgets if you're just solo act. Um, be, unless you have like a long standing client, but if it's someone new and they're like a big company, they want to work with other companies. Right. But I definitely agree with everything you're saying, but the something orange is like, we've, through us, we've found that, uh, yeah, we've hit some pretty big gigs through that. But yeah, there's always complications when we're doing mom and pop type, type stuff. Yeah, well, like, and, and on the other side too, is like when we started applying for some of these bigger bids. So when Floyd, myself, 
um, we're looking at some of these bids for projects. Yeah. We saw one for Lululemon and there's no way that either of us on our own with our own solo brands would be able to land a project that big, especially with a budget of, what was it, like 15 grand? Yeah, it was around 20. Yeah, yeah. around 20 grand. So mm -hmm. that makes no sense for a singular person who, you know, who doesn't have like a background in like producing content as often or as frequent as possible. Like like right. the only person in my mind that could really pull off something like that would be like a Matt Diavella or mm -hmm. like a, um, a Sam Calder. Right. Because they have that kind of following in that background. And for us who are still in the small area or small mm -hmm. niche, it doesn't make sense for, you know, a company to put in so much money to a single individual to like right. execute an entire project. Well, what was the project? Um, they wanted commercial? to build, you know, it was a campaign. So it was to work with like four influencers. No, no it was to work with their um, brand ambassadors, right. local brand ambassadors. So yeah, they'd be looking for like a media agency then. For exactly. Like and so it made sense for us to be able to put it underneath our, like our company yeah. with like three other videographers or two other videographers where each of us had a spe like specific role playing into it. Yeah. So it made sense for us to kind of like come together as a whole unit and then offer it that way rather than us individually putting in our singular bids because that, that makes it a lot more pressure on the person, um, their name and reputation on the line. And it makes it so much harder for them to execute it if they're the ones who has that reputation and that backing into it, it's like, it's like investing to a company, Yeah. right? If it's your name on the sign, that means you're investing at least a good solid 80% and you're going to be the one that's pushing it so much harder than anyone else you would hire. Mm -hmm. So it makes sense to kind of have like everyone underneath like the same flagship name. So that way it's like an easier accountability or even accountability distribution with everyone. Right. So how do you, when you guys work on stuff together, how do you delegate responsibilities? I know we've talked about this a little bit before, mm -hmm. um, but like, how do you decide who does what, who, you know, who takes what role, who gets the most money? Because, you know, there's always an uneven distribution of work. There's always got to be somebody in charge. So how do you guys sort of deal with that when, when a new client comes your way and you're like, oh, I want to get Floyd in on this or, or they come to, you know, you guys together or something like that? Well, on my end, like specifically the way I operate is that depending on who receive, who's the first of contact, Yeah, whoever the first of contact is, whoever is the one that's like putting in their name, their, their like demo reel, their stuff that's being shown to the client and the client is speaking to them directly. Yeah. They're the ones who, in my opinion, have like the 70% control. They got dibs. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But then that's when you have to kind of pull your ego aside and kind of trust in their vision. And like with someone like Floyd, I worked with him for the last like year and a half, two years. Almost two probably. Yeah, about two years of just nonstop working. Like we worked together every weekend for a mm -hmm. whole year, not taking a break yeah. and just shooting and shooting and shooting, practicing, practicing, practicing. And to the point where sometimes on set, we don't even need to talk to each other, mm -hmm. but we respect each other and know that the other one can execute it properly. And that we can go to the other one and there's no ego in the way. Right. That's the biggest thing that I've come to learn is that you can't ride any positions when you're taking a project. Mm -hmm. You kind of have to do what's best for the project and know that whoever's taking it on board is like having to run the ship. But it doesn't mean that you can't give your two cents on the project right. as well. The problem. Oh, sorry. No, yeah, it depends. I think it definitely depends on the project. Uh, it's case by case basis. But if we do get approached as both of us yeah usually the breakdown is pretty much 50 50 mm -hmm. or else it goes towards gear and stuff yeah um but if someone approaches me just for me i usually try and find ways to hire them out as either my first assistant or lighting mm -hmm. or second shooter if need be right so yeah it's, and it's, vice versa too yeah. like we had floyd on set for a wedding once as a boom guy and he's never touched audio yeah and so on the time i would be teaching him how to work the audio recorder and how to be able to boom at the same time. Just because in the end of the day, I understand that he'll be there. I'm mm. like, I can, you know, touch base with him anytime I want. And I'm comfortable enough with Floyd to be able to give him feedback and to be able to say, hey man, the last take didn't go so well. Try aiming more towards their mouth. And like, and I know he'll take it well. Right. Yeah. Do you think it's essential having like someone that you really trust that you can bounce off of, that you can hire? Do you think it's been like pivotal for you or do you think you could have done without it? What, what's the... How does this play into your career overall? Like, in my opinion, any kind of creative field, yeah, it's a team sport. Like, filmmaking, photography, all of that stuff is literally a team sport. You yeah. can't do it solo without, in the end of the day, burning yourself out, driving yourself insane, 
and just being overworked to the max. Yeah. That's why I think that, you know, you, you have to make friends in this industry. You have to be able to, you know, push your ego aside and allow other ideas to flow in because there are so many things that could go wrong. Mm-hmm. And if you're not paying attention to the people around you, to, you know, your clients, your customers, to your talent. Yeah. So many things can go wrong and that all lands on your head. And that's so much pressure. So I think it's integral for anyone in this business mm-hmm. to make friends. That's, totally. that's my big thing. Yeah. I don't know what you will. No, I completely agree. It's <laughs> only all about like uh, collaboration and teamwork, especially in the industry, in this industry, because you kind of rely on each other to um, fall back on if you need advice or if uh, there's jobs upcoming. Like if you can't take something on, but you know, someone else may be able to just refer them back and, mm-hmm. Just knowing that you have uh, someone who could be reliable for a gig is definitely um, useful for uh, projects, right? Yeah. So. I think a big part of that and working with people is being self-aware and knowing what your own strengths are and your own weaknesses are. One thing that I struggled with, especially um, early on, like working in my creative partnership was like, obviously I wanted to be the camera operator. I want to be the director of photography, but you can't always be that every single time. And I just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a control freak. And so it's taken me a lot of work to, to kind of rein it in and realize what I'm good at and what I really enjoy doing and then what would benefit the project the most. And uh, working in a partnership situation, it's good to know how to like, you know, kind of step back and be like, oh, you know, Floyd would be better for this than, than I would. And I'm just going to manage in that way or vice versa. And it is super stressful if you're on a job and you're trying to think of every little thing that needs to get done. Most often than not, you're going to forget something. And when yeah. someone else is kind of in that um, driver's seat, mm-hmm. you can you know, you know, can know that everything else is getting done while uh, you're doing your own right. specific job, right? So Knowing how to delegate is huge, especially on like sets, like outside of the corporate world, if we're talking like, um, yeah, the, the film world, like the narrative world, you see a lot of sort of green directors and DPs that will like, if, it, if something needs adjusting, they'll like, you know, run from the monitor and adjust it themselves rather than asking a grip because it feels faster and it might be faster in the moment. Um, but over the span of the day, they're taking their attention away from the creative and that slows down the production altogether. So knowing how to delegate like that is huge, um, especially yeah. in a partnership. Well, and and just from personal experience, so like, you know, to kind of um, paint a picture here. Yeah. So with my very first production company that I got to work with, and, you know, feel free to work with this, whatever you way you want to. But I felt like some of the issues that we really came across with was when people took the idea of their positions way too seriously. Yeah. Where one person who thought they were like the producer of a, of a shoot mm-hmm. mean, meant that they had kind of like a higher say over anyone else in that shoot. Yeah. So there'd be times where, you know, you would catch them like texting on set or just kind of being in the way of other people. And, you know, if... If you're in that area where you allow your ego to kind of, you know, dictate from the position you're in yeah. and you think that you have some sort of higher power than everyone else on set yeah. and that you don't have like, even though you have nothing to do and you're just there yeah. and you're saying, oh, I'm just talking to someone and networking. You, to me, that's just being in the way. That's yeah. not contributing to the project as, as a whole. And that's just yeah. letting your ego get in the way of not only your progress, but the progress of the shoot and it's stunting everyone yeah. from being able to actually create a finished product. So I have a hilarious story that relates to exactly that. <laughs> so, oh my God, I don't even know. There's a lot of people that are going to, you know, if anyone listens to this, that will know who this is. Um, okay. I, I was working with this producer. It's the same producer that I made that status about. Okay, mm. This nightmare producer that I was working with. <clears throat> and uh, so we were, I can't remember exactly what we were doing. We were shooting in the studio and then I think we were we were waiting on something we were waiting on grips or something like that and uh all of a sudden one of the lights like just kind of we heard a big crash and one of the lights turned off outside of their little room that we were shooting in mm-hmm. and then everyone kind of like looked around they're like what was that and then uh someone said I can't remember what they said they're like oh can someone like get some bandages or something like that and no. so we were just like, oh shit, like somebody got hurt. So we all, I, I just like jumped up and went out to, you know, see what I could do. Mm-hmm. And I guess one of the, uh, one of the grips, he was pretty new. He was lowering a light stand and instead of grabbing the riser that he would have like 
bringing the light down basically he he grabbed underneath the riser and then loosened Ooh. the knuckle oh, okay so it just and so it was, just went yeah and he was looking right up at it and it was like and it was this huge heavy light he's looking right up at it and he was standing on the stand it was a big stand so he was standing on the stand loosened the knuckle he's looking up at the light and the light came crashing down onto his forehead wow. and then he fell off and he had this bit his forehead was like bleeding like crazy and you know he like fell off and everyone was like fuck like someone call an ambulance um anyway so there was a moment where uh shay he was like can everyone give him some space because everyone was crowding around not really doing anything he's like everyone clear out unless you're doing something get out of the way and the producer was standing right next to him and she's got her arms crossed and they're no. like they're like uh i'm the producer i need to be here just didn't do anything and he was just like uh you didn't even you know what to say he's just like okay <sighs> she literally didn't do anything she just stood next to him the whole time while like other people like put bandages on his forehead and everything and then they took him away i don't know he got an ambulance or something and then uh there's like blood everywhere and she's like she asked her assistant she's like clean that up the unpaid assistant gets gets that person to clean it up clean up the blood Fuck. anyway that's my high and mighty producer story and 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 there's so many there's so many egos in this industry. I'm telling you this right now, like yeah. from both photography side to like the videography side, you'll always encounter a, a, a you know a fucking ego. I hate like myself personally. Yeah, I just can't deal with it. But at the same time, that it in itself is like how you deal with that ego and how that ego affects that project and right. like how you try and like get you know move forward. Through, like you know, um, let me phrase this again how you deal with that ego on set will really help out your career. Right. Just understanding to know where they're coming from and just say, you know what? This is something that I you know, really can't control, but I need to just move and do my job and just get this over with Yeah, is the best way to kind of deal with an ego like that. Yeah. Because in the end of the day, snapping back at them, it's not going to really do anything much, right? It might put them in their place. It but depends. The same, it, it depends. Okay, it depends. Yeah. But like... On another on another tangent, I had another I have another creative friend who she was working a fashion shoot, mm. and what happened was the assistant of the um, the assistant of one of the what you call it of one of the models modeling agencies was there right. Um, and what ended up happening was one of the assistants because they're just such a suck up, they were there supposed to be running and helping out with like stressing and stuff like that. Yeah, but instead they started snapping at her who, as her, she is like the stylist. She's the one who put everything on. She's the one who yeah. pulled the clothes. They started snapping at her. They started, you know, going in and saying, why isn't anyone talking to me? Someone needs to be yeah, here. And most of the time, they're just taking selfies with half the right. models there. Yeah. And so, you know, like there will always be ego yeah. in not all the sets you'll be in, but like right. a lot of the sets. And you just have to kind of like let it just wash over right. your back and just like say, you know what? keep going just keep yeah. working i think the, the the most important part is like you need to know what your job is on production or just like in any creative field you need to know what your job is and do it as best as you possibly can if someone else is getting in the way of that that's you've done everything you can you did your job as best as you can and there's no point in getting upset over you know other people limiting you in that way yeah. that's where the ego comes in is people are like oh you know the sound guy is like Oh, can everyone shut the fuck up? You know what I mean? If if it's like, dude, I gotta work on on this thing, you're not the only one on production. It's kind of Yeah, that's where the yeah. ego comes in. Well you know? and 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 to kind of write off of that, um, so if you're watching this, I love you, but I gotta say this. <laughs> um when you're on set, the job that you are assigned, that is the only job you should be doing. Yeah. Totally. So when we hired out this one guy and you, like we're we're really good friends and I love him to death, like yeah. absolutely love him to death. But when we were taking him on into the shoot, mm -hmm. he was supposed to be a PA. But during the time, he ended up like jumping on top with like um like telling actors what to do. He started doing like fight choreography, even yeah. though we're not saying we need to do anything like big. Yeah. He started talking about like the lights he started talking about the the camera shots he started talking about like operating yeah. the camera and we're like and then he's like even on set he started dropping yeah you know what uh, you know i should uh, i should be on a little bit more credit here because mm. you know i'm not i'm like pa i'm oh like this i'm like this and this and this i'm like and in my mind nothing but the biggest cringe just because like you you right. can't do that on set no and that and you know to me 
like when you get taken onto any project, the role that you've been given, yeah. that's your role. Yeah. You can't be pushing yourself to jump to everything. Right. That comes in time. And that's the thing is like people think it's the inexperience in that aspect. There's a lot of people who they might know you you might know more than the director. The director might be like total total doofus. He'd never been on set before. But if you're the PA, you know what I mean? I think the most you can do is come up to the director, maybe whisper in his ear or come up to the AD and be like, hey, you know, that thing's in shot or something. But as soon as you start making calls and trying to do other people's job, you lose everyone's respect. Your job is like, you just got to do as much of your job as best as you possibly can. Exactly. Anything else, you lose so much respect on, on set. It's insane. Yeah. And I'm not going to lie. There's a reason why I, I wasn't the one running the project, but the right. person who's running the project would never hire him again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I like, I completely agree. You got, you got to stick to your guns and you can offer up suggestions, but you can't yeah. be jumping the gun and saying, I'm this now, I'm this now, I'm this now. <laughs> yeah. That's, it's a, it's a very like, it's a very oh. film school thing, but it's a thing that like, I feel like everyone kind of goes through that stage at some point, Yeah, even if it's in, in their own head and you kind of got to grow out of it and learn how to get past it. But I don't know. You still got to have sympathy for them because he's so new. He doesn't understand, you and, know, they, they just don't. And they're used to doing one man shows. Um, so, I mean, like, maybe they should be blacklisted a little bit to figure out, like, hey, this isn't okay. Yeah. Um, that or just kind of like they have enough time to grow and work on their own projects to yeah. finally understand what, you know, those roles are like supposed to be like. Well, totally. like, do you think if um, you're hiring someone inexperienced, new one, you should maybe preface them on? set etiquette and expectations if you know that they know nothing then yeah totally mm -hmm. but you you would kind of assume already that they kind of have an idea of how right. to act yeah during a production it setter. all depends yeah. on their experience too mm -hmm. and like kind of what background they're coming from like the reason why i say this is because like the first time i worked on with mike on set i didn't really know to not stare at the talent's eyes <laughs> when they're talking into the camera like see I, yeah. no one taught me that when i was in school and I went to broadcast journalism where I'm supposed to be dealing with news. So no one ever told me to not look at them. Right. And that's the one thing to me that like, you know, I appreciated him telling me that in my ear. And, you know, as someone who, who's new on set and new to working with Mike, that's the biggest thing that I have to be open to is that feedback and to mm -hmm. be able to say, like, you know what? Okay, I know my place. I know where I need to be without being resentful about and it. So many people, I hire a lot of, PAs and I've worked with a lot of PAs not necessarily ones that I've hired or like I'll get on a set and I'm just given like a trainee right there's a lot of people that don't know how to take um, criticism without taking it personally and that's like such a huge thing not just in the film industry but in creative fields in general because everything is so subjective yep. every production you go on it's going to be like different rules like things are going to be taught called different things you just got to kind of like learn to adapt but as soon as you start being like you know, you, you, you have an inability to take that criticism. It turns everybody off. Being able to take that cr kind of criticism is just, that is like a big growing point. I feel that's a good way to like, that's when I started being able to take criticism properly, I found that my relationships were a lot more impactful because people were just less annoyed by me. You know, that's just the way it is. You gotta, you have to learn how to take criticism because and realize that it's not a criticism of you it's just that you need to acknowledge how little you actually know about a specific thing yep. or know when you know someone knows more than you whatever um yeah i don't know yeah. it's valuable to take that knowledge it's not an impact it's not it doesn't impact you or it's not a reflection of you yeah it's a reflection of you know your just state in the industry at that moment but yeah. there's nothing wrong with that everyone's in stages right no, and I and I completely agree. It's it's honestly each sets different rules, different game, and you got to learn those rules before you can start playing properly. And that's the right. biggest thing about like that's that's the mindset I have on set. Yeah, is you know each person's going to be different. Each person's going to be reacting differently to how you are. Mm -hmm. So you kind of have to read the room and know the flow of just how that set goes. Right. Because like you know Floyd and I could be working together and we're working with a very you know a very serious model, someone who's like very you know, very sharp, so to yeah. say, because they don't have anything that really is like, in my opinion, it's like they don't, they haven't really worked on many diverse sets. Right. So I like, well, you know, in the past, like we've worked with models who don't really know how to pose except for that specific pose. Mm -hmm. And they keep going back to that comfort zone. Yeah. And so, you know, Floyd may be composing shots in his head, but I'm off directing and being, you know, a goofy little shit 
on set in order to get them to start laughing. So that yeah. way they can start relaxing and saying, you know what, this is a fun set. Like you don't have to be as like, you know, bottom the line model agency, like strict look, like kind of giving off some blue steel shit. You know, yeah. you got to have to have that, you know, that kind of like, you know, everyone else on set has to have that mm. kind of idea too of like, they know what the set's like and then they can start kind of giving off that energy to everybody else too. Right. So just willing of, to be flexible and accept new ideas, accept new ideas, but also be the one too that breaks that kind of breaks the tension mm. and know how to be able to relieve it when it's time to relieve it, when it's appropriate to relieve it. Mm -hmm. So like knowing to feel the set. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that all comes from the top too. Yeah. Usually whoever, whoever's leading the set that always, it usually sets the mood, but you can always have one person got a bad attitude yeah. that can ruin the whole thing. Yeah. Let's move on to, I want to know, because we talked about this a little bit. Yeah. That's a horrible segue, but that doesn't matter. <laughs> so we've spoken about this a little bit. Mm -hmm. So I sort of know your philosophy on it. Um, Floyd, I haven't heard your thoughts on this, but what is your thoughts on like setting rates and ignoring your rate? Like what situations do you give discounts? What situations do you work for free? Yeah, what's your guys' philosophy on like essentially the value of your work when dealing with new clients, old clients, your own work, stuff like that? I'm leaving this to him. Yeah. That's <laughs> it. Uh, well, usually if I, if it's a mom and pop shop, I start out with um, my lower starting out rates. I guess mm -hmm. you'd call it. Yeah. Um, if a bigger client kind of approaches me, medium, bigger, um, I would go with my the rates that I think that I'm worth. Right. Would charge that out fully. Uh, Discounts, I guess. I don't really offer discounts mm -hmm. at all. Right. Um, no friends, no family. I try not to d take on any projects Yeah. Uh, regarding that. Just it, It's really messy. Why is that? Why no discounts? Why no discounts? Yeah. Just sets the precedent on future jobs, right? Like um, right. if I give you a discount now, what stops you from asking me for the same discount on a future project? Or if, uh, right. if you refer me to another client, this is, this is what... He charged me, like, yeah. why can't I get charged the same? Like, so just sets a precedent on um, how much you value your services and products, right? So, right. Do you ever lower it for any projects that you like really believe in? You're like, ooh, this seems like something would be fun. This is something that I don't have on my, my show reel yet, something like that. You ever do that? Um, for stuff I really want to work on, usually yeah. I can even go as low as for free. Right. I would yeah. buy the stuff, shoot it, send it to them. Right. This is what I can do for you guys. Maybe you would want to work with me. Yeah. So if I really wanted to work on it, I'd definitely consider uh, either a heavy discount or a little, little bit of a... You hear that, top, people? Right? Floyd yeah. works for free. There has to be an asterisk to that free, right? So. No, but there are some people that won't work for free, like mm. no matter what. Yep. And there's people out there, like I see on... There's that uh, really popular Facebook page where, you know, film jobs come in. It's, I need a producer, fixer, whatever, Canada edition. And there's a lot of low-paid jobs on there, and they get so much shit. Mm. Like, people will go insane in the comments section shitting on them over these low-paid jobs. It's like, man, the job's not for you. Like, if I was just starting mm -hmm. out, that's something I would be really into taking. Absolutely. Right? Or yeah, if yeah. I didn't have it on my reel yet, you know, and it was something I was really looking to get into. Yeah, I don't know. I think working for free is important especially when you're starting out and especially if it's like stuff you want to get into and you don't have a, an avenue into it yet like i think all the music videos i've done except for one were like free and it's usually because like the older music videos i did don't represent me so i want to do a music music video and they're like can i see your music videos i'm like eh. you know i don't have any good music videos that are new right so i did my most recent one for free because i wanted to but, but like i i think that it comes with a specific trade-off for right. free work personally yeah. Um, because depending on the free work itself, how much creative control do they give you? Exactly. Right. And if it's creative control that you want, then there's that benefit. But yeah. like, I think, I think the working for free bit, you can definitely use to your advantage mm -hmm. as a creative, in my opinion. Well, you really have to demand that creative freedom though. Cause a lot of people don't want to give it up. But, but like there's other situations too, where working for free works in your favor. Right. The reason why I say this is that, um, just so, you know, people out there know, us being in this creative field, it gives us a lot of leeway to be able to um, offer our skill sets for specific things in return. So 
you know, the reason why I say this is like, I'm working out at a gym right now that doesn't charge me anything mm -hmm. because I'm making content for them for mm -hmm. free. And instead of having to pay $55 per month, I'm actually working on the facilities five times a week, two hours a day. And if that was equated to the, the cost, then I'm actually racking up a bill and I'm building them content as it goes on. So that's what I mean by like working for free can sometimes work in your favor because you're trading a specific skill set for a certain service that you want in return. Right. So sometimes you kind of have to be clever in the way you're thinking mm -hmm. of what free means. Yeah. And so I know it means like for me that I'm going to be doing like, you know, maybe 10 hours, 15 hours worth of work. But that means that I am in good graces with this gym for three, four, five months for however right. long I want to be there. Plus, they've already thrown competitions my way. And these are paid competitions where they need someone videoing or someone to create like, like sizzle reels right. of their events. So in the end of the day, like the amount of people that go to that gym with like the amount of backgrounds they have and jobs that they have right. that are, you know, that could possibly use my services and that these guys are kind of shouting my name out saying, hey, he's the one that makes videos for us. And all these people that are coming into the gym that are working there. That's a massive trade off for my win. Yeah. I mean, uh, like I said, working for free, there should be an asterisk above the word free. Right. Um, it's a value exchange. If you think there's value in it for you to create something for this company, something in this, for this person, I think you should definitely take it on. But if it's a one-sided um, mm, exchange, yeah. then it's definitely, you know, something you can say, like, I'm going to pass on this for now, and then maybe we can talk in the future or something like that. Exactly. Like, and, that's, and that's the nice thing about it. And, but the thing is, though, you... You're not going to know in the very beginning what the what a proper value trade-off is until you've gotten burned, until you've gotten that one-sidedness, until you've gotten all of that in between. That's the big thing that I think that people should still jump onto and still not be afraid to do is like to let themselves experience what it's like to work for free, experience what it's like to, you know, to have the one-sided creativeness. Because I think there's so many people out there that are just like contemplating, should I do it? Should I not do it? Should I do it? Should I not do it? And they're stuck in this like perpetual wheel of not doing any action. Yeah. And I think, you know, whether it's the right choice or the wrong choice, at least you're still building that momentum and growing and then growing smarter about it. Yeah. Like I've definitely taken on clients in the past where I've definitely like offered more than what they were able to provide me, especially with free work. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I did it for free was because I was like, you know what, I, you know, I, I like your company, I like what you're doing, and I want to, you know, just, I want to just constantly create for you guys because I'm, I'm a believer of the brand. But then once you realized, you know, on your end that they're not the brand that you thought they were because if this is the way that they treat, you know, people who are willing to provide things for them, then that takes you out of that disillusionment and it becomes, it becomes this more of like reality of like, okay, I guess they're not the brand that I actually thought they were. Mm -hmm. So I think I'm going to pull myself back. And then that's when you're more awake, more, yeah, awakened to the brand yeah. and the way that they treat their customers and the way that they treat things through another lens. Well, whenever people hear um, working for free, they, you know, they're thinking in a monetary sense, of course. Mm -hmm. But, as, oh shit, I completely forgot what I was going to say. It related exactly to what you were saying. Um, working with brands, being part of a brand. Working with brands. Oh, right. I mean, even if the shoot goes south, even if your relationship mm -hmm. with the client goes south, you're always learning something. And that's not something that you can learn through always getting paid gigs. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah. I've burned, burned a lot of times, you know, from yeah. mostly from my own inability to set expectations. Yep. Um, but that's how you learn to get, become a better filmmaker. And so many people will approach me Um you know, I don't know, they see my Instagram, they see that I'm shooting things and stuff. And, and honestly, most of the time, I'm not shooting things. That's just like old photos from old yep. shoots because yep. I want to keep my online presence present. I want people to think that I'm I'm shooting things, right? So they see it and they like, they think I'm shooting stuff all the time and they message me. They're like, oh, can I come on one of your, on one of your sets? And I'm like, um, well, we can meet for coffee and, yep. you know, we'll yep. see. And it's like, usually I'm not shooting it. It's like, I don't have anything scheduled for the next like two weeks yep. or, or whatever. And then the one thing I do, I'm doing it by myself. Right. So constantly looking for value in a monetary sense, especially when you're starting out is not valuable. Yep. Not at all because you're put, you're, you're ostracizing yourself from potential opportunities. It's building those relationships that is way more valuable and learning from your own mistakes. Those are like the most valuable things yeah. in terms of working for free. 
as well as to like always asking for money, especially in the beginning from the yeah. get go, you're setting yourself to have some sort of you're you're not only setting yourself up for expectations, but mm-hmm. expectations from the client as well. Yeah. Because, you know, the very beginning, even when I was taking on projects and I was like pricing myself out, I was really uneasy about it. And when I would be taking on these projects, I would have ungodly expectations of myself on the equivalent of like a thousand dollar video when really I was just making something as small as like 15 seconds, 30 seconds. And what I was charging was only like 200, 150 bucks. Totally. And so I was setting myself up for failure in a sense of, I set my expectation up so high because it was like, they're giving me money. And even then I, like in the very beginning, I didn't believe in my own product. That's the unfortunate bit. When people price themselves out in the very beginning, mm-hmm. they don't have belief in their product. They don't have confidence in their skills yet. They don't have that confidence behind their like reputation. So in the end of the day, you know, during that time when they're like, you know, getting paid or doing the small bits, they don't have that confidence to produce a good product. And because of that, it translates into the product as well. Totally. And then it sets that un- that expectation of like, you got paid like this much money, so you should produce something really good for me. Mm-hmm. And then they follow through right yeah i found that basically whenever a a shoot comes my way it doesn't matter if it's paid or not there's three Mm -hmm. questions that i've sort of boiled it down to the first one is am i getting paid Mm -hmm. am i getting paid second is do i have creative control and then third is is this like a good business move essentially so if i'm Mm -hmm. not getting paid if i don't have creative control is there someone i'm meeting on set that would be valuable to have a good relationship with? Mm-hmm. Or is this a piece that I don't have on my demo reel that would be really valuable? Is it a, you know, a logo on my website that would be really valuable? Something like that. Um, so if I'm not getting paid, then it needs to at least have one of the other two things. You know, if it, if it can fulfill one of those criteria, basically, I'll do it. If I have creative control, then I'll do it because I can make a product that represents me. If it's yeah. someone that's valuable relationship, even when I'm not getting paid. That said, typically, if it's a valuable relationship, in my experience, there's going to be money like McDonald's isn't going to ask, you know, you to work for free. You know what I mean? Because they have the money. Yep. Um, so, yeah, just and, being aware. And I also think that, too, like when you're a company and you know you have money and you're going for the free route option, just know that that comes with a little bit of a risk. Yeah. Because that free route option, it may be the cheapest, but it doesn't mean you'll get the best product. Totally. And that's what I've often gotten on my end when people find out about my rates and I say, mm-hmm. you know, this is my rate. This is how much you do per hour. This is like my equipment. This is that. I break it down to them yeah. and then they go with a cheaper option. Right. And in the end of the day, if they end up with a video that doesn't stand out. So like, um, let me give you an example here. So I was working with a school. I'm not going to name names and which schools it is, but sure. I met with the principal. He was really interested in the way I stole, I, I told stories. I was recommended. It was really great. Like it was, it was going off in a really good relationship. Um, you know, he told me his budget, but I was like, eh, this is a little, a little bit shorter, but I'll, I'll try and make it work. And I gave him a small discount just because I thought it was an excellent opportunity to work with that school because it gave me an opportunity to tell a narrative that I really can believe in because mm-hmm. we were like pulling from found footage. We were pulling from like histories from like the school. Cause it was a video for the retirement of that, of a teacher, of, of a particular teacher. And like, they were going to get like, you know, uh, video chats of like students who graduated. So mm-hmm. I felt really compelled to really take on that project because I thought it was a heartwarming story. And I was like, you know what? Yeah. Like, I love telling stories. I love doing this. I'm going to take it on. I gave him a price and he was like, no, it's okay. Yeah. Um, you know, you're a little bit above our budget. So I don't think that we're going to go with it. Mm-hmm. What we're going to do instead is we're going to take a look and see if there's any parents that are willing to take on the job and volunteer. Yikes. And that to me, I'm just <laughs> like, I'm biting my tongue. Yeah. You know, without saying anything negatively. Right. But at the same time, if you're going to go for that free route. Yeah. And you're going to go to a parent with a handicam. Yeah. You got to have that expectation that it's not going to be the type of video right. that you wished it was. Yeah. And then all the work that I gave you that kind of like, like, because beforehand I gave him a, I gave him kind of a briefing of like how to start a narrative, mm-hmm. how to begin that little, you know, that process of, you know, creating a cohesive narrative and storyline for yeah. this video. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, if you're going to be giving this to a parent who's only doing this for volunteer, they're going to have some expectation on you. Totally. And then you're going to have a hard time finding this out because that homework that I gave you was specifically from something that I know how to make. Yeah. And the thing is, though, in situations like that, where they're thinking about going with a cheaper option, which I think has happened to everybody and will definitely happen to anyone who's... I'm not the first and I won't be the last. Yeah, exactly. Keep happening. 
But the thing is, like, it's not worth convincing them of your value. I, True. Yeah, like, I've, I've, I've had so many people that'll, like, you know, they try and email them back and they're, like, trying to, you know, they try and convince them they're the value. They're yeah. like, oh, but I have this camera. You're not going to get the same thing with that person or whatever. But you kind of just got to put your hands up and be like, okay, that's my rate. And, and they'll see yeah. the difference when they go with the cheaper option or they won't either way. They're never going to hire you. They're never going to pay you your rate. Yeah. It's not worth dropping your rate and it's not worth trying to convince someone of your value. And and that's and that's where like something that I've kind of worked on myself a little bit more recently. Yeah. Is I've stopped writing up proposals mm. for clients that I don't believe are open to the idea yet. Yeah. So like um so for a lot of the beginners out there like I highly recommend you guys practice this where it's just practice writing proposals, practice writing pitches and stuff like that. But in the end of the day, though, like what I've experienced, like after having done this and kind of built my reputation up is that when I'm interested in working with a client and I reach out to them just by a quick DM or an email, um, that I should just wait there. I shouldn't jump the gun and write a proposal and say, this is the video I have. This is this, 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 this. Yeah. Um, If there's no track record on their end from ever wanting to work with you, Mm -hmm. then you're fighting an uphill battle. You're having to try and convince them that this is a this is a good business move. And in the end of the day, that's sometimes not the best method of doing things because in right. the end of the day, that could really hit their ego. And then they'll start thinking, who's this guy coming off the street thinking that he's better than I am and knowing how to run my business better than I do? Totally. When in, in the end of the day, all you're offering is just a proposition or just an opportunity to make something that could really build or generate um, like, you know, more awareness to that business because not all businesses believe the idea of social media. Yeah. And to this day, that still boggles my mind. But at the same time, it depends on the business. Yeah. So, you know, I've kind of pulled back on that end and I've just started producing and just releasing my own work that I'm a big believer of. Mm-hmm. So that way, when people, you know, see my stuff and look at my stuff, if that's something that they're interested in, great. But if yeah. it's not and they pass on and it's a company that like, you know, I need some convincing to get on board, mm-hmm. then I got to pull myself back because then I'm becoming far more invested in the project than they are. And they're going to expect you to do 90% of the work and you're definitely going to be underpaid there. Yeah. That's a big thing too, is just setting expectations beforehand, especially on projects. Actually, it's not out yet. Nobody's seen it. But the test podcast that I did, it was all about setting expectations. Nice. Um, And I really do think that's like, no matter what you're doing in any creative field, setting expectations is like your number one job over over what, what you're making. Because if the expect- expectations are set, you can do everything else right. And they're like, we wanted the video yesterday, you know, but you didn't set that expectation that is like, oh, well, it's going to take three weeks, yeah. you know? So sending those expectations and and being the master of those expectations yep. is huge. And like, as a note for any listeners too, if you set expectations, over overreach your expectations and then, or no, how does it go? Over deliver. Over deliver. Uh, under promise under promise yeah so in that way in that way that means like you say a video is going to take about like two weeks and you deliver in one yeah that's perfect yeah that's great for you because in that way it makes you look good and it gives you enough time to make any revisions that may not look that great Mm -hmm. so i think that's that's in my opinion that was like the biggest eye like eye opener i was like i gotta do that to myself like open communication between you and your client throughout the uh, life uh line of the project was very important in the yeah figuring out those expectations and what kind of um, final product they can see from you and and what you need to do uh, while you're editing and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. as well too, you kind of have to, and like, I don't, and I recommend to not putting so much expectation on the first, first project. Yeah. Cause like sometimes, you know, if you say, Oh, I'll deliver in two weeks. And then a client takes two weeks to reply back to you. Yeah. Like I have a client right now who I've sent off edits and they haven't replied back to me in over a month mm-hmm. and I've followed up with them. Yeah. So in the end of the day, like sometimes the client on their end, they're the ones that are kind of slowing yeah. the project down. You can only do what you can do. And that's why it's important yeah. to just in being in communication, if yeah. they ever shit on you in that way, like after in your situation, they come back and they're like, why isn't the video done? You have all those emails that you can point back to and be it's like- It's a track record. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And like, that's why I'm a big believer of keeping everything in writing, yeah, um, especially totally. when it comes to emails and text messages. Yeah. Because anything over the phone, it may be great to have a little conversation over the phone, but right. it needs to have those, uh, those kind of like sent and received timelines or time codes. I talked about this in my last one is that whenever I'm on the phone with somebody, and I'll be taking notes no matter what the phone call is about. I'll take notes yeah. on the phone call. 
And then I follow up with an email immediately after and be like, here's what we talked about. Sort of like, oh, just to confirm, blah, 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 outline everything over email. And then you can continue conversation from there. But at that point, you have like a, you know, a date and a time to exactly when you talked about it. Because I've been in situations where, yeah, you, uh, it's, yeah. See, don't you just love what we do? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, it's just, uh, it's such a, it's such a maze all the time. But it's always like, I'm constantly learning how to better set those expectations with the clients. But yeah, I've been in a lot of situations on the floor where I'll say something on the phone and then they'll get the final product and they'll like, you know, it's like months later and they're like, oh no, on the, on, we said we wanted three videos, not two, you know, that shit. Oh my God. I know that too well. Oh my God. Well, you know what? That's, that, that's the thing though. Filmmaking and any content creation itself, it's a literal love hate relationship. Totally. Yeah. Like, you know, it's, it's like, I'm, I'm okay. As a warning to anyone who's getting into this, you know, it's going to be the hardest thing you're going to do. You're going to push yourself to your max. You're going to be pushing yourself to the very end. And you know, all of that expectation and all of that work is literally going to be on your shoulders. But in the end of the day, if you truly, truly love it and you feel like it's the best thing for you and that, and it, you know that it's something that you want to do, yeah. then, you know, just know that you're going to have to face against all of that. And the best way to kind of like, the best way you handle and deal with those obstacles in your way is what will define you as a successful creator, in my totally. opinion. Yeah. Especially from the views of clients and other people in the industry that you're working with. Yeah. yeah. Just important to do as best job as you possibly can be honest you know yeah. be nice be open to communication and criticism yeah. <laughs> yeah that's that's very true like you know like that's the one thing that's really hard for me on my end is to separate myself and my business mm-hmm. because in the end of the day i am my business and oh my i God. am like who yeah. i am as a person shines and follows through in my work well it's like when your business name is literally named after you right it's so yeah. hard not to take things personally while yeah. you're communicating with it and and when communicating with clients and stuff or just thinking about projects yeah. i mean like look at my place like we're in my apartment right now and you know what i mean like there's but, no separation between my work and no. and my personal life it just yeah. is like and, and that's the thing is like you you kind of have to accept that you are your business and like yeah. you can't escape it but at the same time like i'm still a big advocate in my end for um like separating yourself in your business when you have mm-hmm. your time yeah. stick to your time and when you have time on a, a client's time stick to the client's time like totally. that's the biggest thing on that end is like yes they can bleed back and forth mm-hmm. but there are things that you need to maintain in your life that yeah. can't be ignored like I've met filmmakers who've never showered in like a week because they've yeah. just been so busy with work. And I'm like, yeah. dude, take a shower. I had, I had like, uh, I mean, it wasn't like clinical or anything, but I swear I had like a mental breakdown last year working on um, some projects just because I had no separation yep. from my life. That was, my office used to be in that room and I would close the door and I was in there. Uh, it was, I think it was like, Basically, like an entire week, I would like sleep for two hours at a time. I'd hit render on something and then I would like sleep while it's rendering. And I would set an alarm like every two or hours or one hour so I can like wake up and check the render. Yep. It was like a solid week of that because I was dealing with both a Story High project, which is my like 10 minute short film. And then I also had client projects because I'm not getting paid from the Story High project. In fact, yep. I lost money on that. Um, but I had no, I did not understand. I didn't understand the need to separate from my life at all. And I remember like walking outside and I just felt like a zombie. Like anytime I was outside. Dude, you're not alone. Like I, I went through this literally last year and yeah. it happened around August because I was balancing um, my job as a video editor for a production company, my own clients. And then I was also working as a community manager for a tech school. Mm-hmm. And all of that required me to stare at a computer screen. And I was staring at that screen for over maybe 10, 12 hours a day, yeah. like managing other people's calendars, replying to emails, setting up workshops, editing my own projects, editing projects from the production company I was working with. Yeah. And all of that stuff, like, although it gave me, you know, some sort of income right. in the end of the day, I wasn't happy. I was stuck inside. I was staring at my computer screen. Yeah. And like, I swear, like, I don't think it was anything like over the top clinical, but I think I went through a mental breakdown myself where I was just like, holy shit, I'm going way too fast. I'm going at it way too hard, like balls to the wall too far. And I'm like, I need to pull myself back. I need to separate myself from any, like other, like other than filmmaking and work Mm -hmm. to like find things for other things. Like I got to take care of my body. I got to be able to meditate. I got to eat. I got to, I got to have those moments where it's just specifically myself. 
because like yeah. we're literally on call for almost everything. Yeah. yeah. Like, you know, you know, drop a hat, a client can call you and say, Hey, mm-hmm. um, just wanted to follow up. Do you have time to meet right now? And I've lost friends because of this. Mm-hmm. Because I've had so many of my friends call me up and say, Hey man, uh, do you want to hang out? Or hey, do you want to do this? And I'm saying, sure, yeah. And yeah. then out of nowhere, a client calls me. He's like, "Hey, uh, can you make edits on this video right now? Like, um, it does you know they just got gave me feedback and that doesn't look that great." Yeah. And because and you know filmmaking and editing and all that stuff was on like the top of my priority list, mm-hmm. I would just like bail out on my friends, go home, like and edit, and then deliver these edits within two hours, and then end up missing my friends' like yeah. birthday or get together. So that's why like even the guys in my university or my uh, university buddies. A lot of them are not a big fan of me because I'm either always late. I mm-hmm. schedule with like clients, and like I've 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 literally isolated myself so much um, being in this being in this industry. Totally. And so you know I have to kind of separate that, mm-hmm. and then separate my own life and kind of define where that line is. And I've definitely I'm, I'm sure you've gone through the same thing too. Oh yeah, yeah. burning out is definitely real. Um, the last couple months for us was uh super busy. Maybe yeah. first the start of the the year was super busy. So, uh, I'm not a full time freelancer. Right. I have a day job, and then I do um photography outside of the regular work hours. I guess you call it. Gotcha. So the la- uh, beginning of the year, we were super swamped with projects. Um, campaigns for spring summer. Yeah. So uh, I go to my day job, and then right after work, I'd work on trying to build these projects, mood boarding, shot list. Mm-hmm. Um, and timelines, right? Figure out timelines and when we can shoot. Also, when we can calling on people. Yeah, yeah, like getting a people, crew together, assistance, crew together. So, we did that for the first few months of the year, and then I think there was a bit of a break, and then my body was just like, "No, you got to stop. You yeah. got to slow down. You got to figure out um, what who you are right now, and just take your time for yourself." Right. So, yeah. I think the last couple months for me, for sure, I've just been kind of slowing things down. Not, not. Um, Focusing on trying to find new projects right away and just yeah, kind of yeah. riding I'm the wave. I'm going through the it. same thing. Like the fact, yeah, like you, my house is pretty dirty right now. Like my my desk, I haven't touched it. But this is the cleanest it's been in months. Like it was, it has been insane. Just because mm-hmm. I've been focusing, but well, maybe not months. I would say last year, if you were to look at my apartment last year compared to mm-hmm. this year, like. I think I've been in this apartment for like three years now, almost four, and I haven't put anything up on the walls. Like even now the walls are pretty bare, but I only put most of this stuff up in the past like few months because I've literally like been convinced myself, oh, I'm, I, you know, I'm too busy. And also like, I'm going to move to like Toronto or something right away, you know, but I wouldn't, I wasn't focusing on my own well-being. So I'm living my life in this messy house with just gray walls all Mm -hmm. day working and it's just no way to live. And also you're your work is sacrificed when you do yeah. that too. You you don't produce this quali- like high quality work when you're just digging your nose deep into it all the time. And, and that's the other side of it too. It's just like you are so, you know, so tunnel visioned yeah. into thinking to yourself like this is it, this is it, this is it, this is it. Yeah. And that you're neglecting all of these other, like all of these other foundational blocks that mm-hmm. really hold up your life like relationship time with your family, like having that connection yeah. still be strong, you know, connection with your friends who can help you separate from that identity of saying, I am defined by this. I'm because de- mm-hmm. for me, I say like to my mind, like what really kind of hit me in the gut mentally was this question of what am I if I am not a content creator or yeah. videographer or filmmaker? What am I if not this? And you look back and you think of all the things that are like that you had in your, that you had in life. Yep. And you're looking at that and you're saying, well, I have friends. No, you stopped hanging out with them. So they left yeah. and you're just stuck with yourself. Right. Um, and all you're surrounded with is just photography buddies or video buddies who yeah. they just want to talk about shop. Yeah. And like, oh, I have family. Well, your family's busy too. And they only have time during the weekend. Yeah. Well, I have these hobbies. Oh no, you gave up that hobby because you decided just to go balls to the wall right. and nothing but work. But do you ever think it's, do you think it's a, as much as I, I totally relate? I totally agree. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, um, that's why it's so tough is because it's so tied to your identity. Uh, and like even now I've recently started to like teach myself that it's okay to like take a few hours just to like play video games or yeah. or yeah. like exercise. And like but when I started exercising, I was like, man, I could be working right now. Yep. And I get anxiety when I'm not working, which makes me, it just, it. so, but is, do you think there's ever a time where that kind of hustle is important? I think when you're starting out, that kind of thing yes. is essential yeah in a way well and i think because like i think 
it it goes to with like how much pe- how many how many people know your name or your reputation right. if you don't really have any like groundwork or kind of like um any tracks of your work in the past yeah. then i think that's when you have the where you can afford to go balls to the wall mm-hmm. um and really like push yourself to get work done and to produce things because then the more consistent you are the more people see your work the more you know your work is out there right the better chances you'll get in getting clients and getting this and getting that yeah. that's why you know for a solid year Floyd and i actually took no weekends off and we worked every single weekend that year mm-hmm. right but it came with a lot of sacrifice and with yeah. that sacrifice became our work and it became like a, a inflow of like money i think right? you really need to find your limit is the thing it's finding yeah. your limit so you can work your way back and know how to sort of build a healthy lifestyle that you can be efficient while not reaching that limit but you really have to burn out in a way yeah yeah to to know how to work backwards yeah. and yeah maintain that productivity while you know, maintaining a relatively healthy lifestyle. Do you hear that? That That's right. Try, do something. Don't overanalyze and just keep working. Words of wisdom. Yeah. Fail, fail, fail. And then know your limit. Okay. Okay. Let's go back. Perfect. No, I think, I think that's, that's good. We're just over an hour here. Nice. Um, or we're almost at an hour. We're at about 56 minutes. But um, yeah, I think that's where we, we call it. Yeah. So what do you... um. What do you guys want to plug? Is there anything you want people to go to? Any um, thing you want people to know? To be honest with you, like the biggest thing that I would love to plug is, you know, if, if you're a Calgary filmmaker and, you know, you're, you're in Calgary specifically, I think the biggest thing that our city needs right now is more people just to try and make things. Just try. Yeah. Because honestly, the way I see it is that, you know, from our chance, our, from our times going to Vancouver and Toronto and talking with a few of the creatives there, we are so behind on the times. We are so behind in skill. We're so behind in, um, in like creativity and like in just work being right. produced in Calgary. Yeah, that it's gone to the point where I'm not gonna lie. Like some people, when you tell them you're from Calgary and you tell them that you make stuff, they look down on you. And I think that is a reflection of not only, um, just of us creatively and like yeah. not you know really bringing our names out there, not really having that courage to really speak, you know, what our culture is about. I think mm-hmm. that. That's, you know, that's something that, you know, we as a whole collective should just start, you know, rapping more loudly and working more loudly towards just like kind of building that identity of like, we are creative. I think there's two sides of that coin though. Really? Because okay. I do agree. I do agree that um, uh, Calgary lacks in a certain amount of creativity because a lot of people leave. A lot of the really good people leave because they yeah. want to, you know, I don't know, the grass is always greener, but they also want to seek bigger opportunities that might not be available in Calgary. True. But at the same time, if you can make a living in Calgary off of your creativity, whether you're in the film industry, whether you're doing graphic design, um, then you're going to do pretty well anywhere else because it's tough to make it here because there's just not as much of a pool of clients and other talent to work off of. So if you can make it in Calgary, I think you can make it anywhere. Whereas in Vancouver, or Toronto, it's a lot easier to get on a set. The bar is just lower in a way. Even though there's better people there and more people there, the bar is lower because there's just so much more opportunity. Mm. So I would say that I think Calgary does breed some very fantastic um, people in small towns. I don't think it's necessarily wrong to leave, but I don't think you have to leave to be successful. Yeah, I think I think you have to still try and make a mark. Yeah, here is what yeah. I is what I think I'm trying to get to. Is just like fucking up here and you're not making it here. Leaving is not going to get you successful. Exactly. Mm-hmm. No, like yeah. make this your stomping ground. Make this be your fuck up land. Like, yeah. you know, make this Calgary specifically is the best place to fail because totally. that's part of it. Is that nobody knows about it, and not that goes for know. all small towns and and non city exactly non main hubs because there's nobody like keeping a like a, almost like a magnifying glass to your eye. There's not that super large community as well. So it allows you that ability to be able to fuck up on one set and like fuck up on one project, but there's still much more opportunities to go to. So I, I, that's what I mean. It's just like, just people of Calgary create, don't hide, don't overthink, stop thinking that the grass is always greener on the other side, even though like it might be greener. I mean, just produce stuff while you're here. So that way you're prepared in case you ever want to go. Totally. That's my thing. Cool. Um, on kind of the same note, I guess, on creatives in general, um, kind of want to, and some I've been guilty of in the past for sure is stop creating for Instagram. It's it's, it's so <laughs> rude right now. It's 
Stop creating for Instagram. Stop creating for Instagram. Creating for Instagram for Why sure. Why is that? Because it's so fake. It's yeah. so fake right in now. In what way though? Creating for Instagram in what way? Ooh. Like as a so as an influencer or as I like uh, in what way? Like I think photographers fall into the trap of making photos just to post right uh, on the feed right now, and then it's it's, it's so bundled up and with algorithms and right. uh, influencers and and bots and bots is just so saturated that you're. The chance of your photo being shown into the world mm-hmm. through that platform is slim to none. So you're saying just sort of be yourself. Be I think be yourself and out. kind of venture into other platforms if you really want to uh, right. go that route. Um, but podcast, I al- YouTube, and and what I also think too is like create for yourself. Don't create for other people. So what I mean right. by create for yourself means create things with your own creative vision, in your mm-hmm. own way, in your own style. Right. Develop your voice, hone in on your voice, enhance it. Like that's the biggest thing because everyone on Instagram is trying to be like this Wonder Bay, this kind of cookie um, cutter. Yeah, yeah. This, this cookie cutter form of like you know creation or creativity that you know many people may em- may emulate. They may get really good at it, but then they start to lose their voice in what they themselves may be passionate about. Yeah. So, you know, everyone trying to be like the next Sam Calder or Peter McKinnon. Great. Yeah. But what I mean is you shouldn't exactly follow in their footsteps because in the end of the day, you're going to wake up one day. You're going to say, I want to make this. And you're going to be like, oh, my God, I have no idea how to make that. Right. I just know how to make this. And also success yeah. is not defined by other people. Like your path to success is going to be different than anyone else's. And mm-hmm. I, and on Peter McKinnon, I see so many YouTubers that are like, they're just Peter McKinnon. They got like a beard. Yep. They got a black hat. They're, they painted their office all black. They got their gear nicely lit on they a got background. They a Yeah. But it's then like, cut his hair. Yeah. And they're like on a, like a, a, like a solid wood desk. Like they're, they are fucking Peter McKinnon. Yeah. And the thing is like, you might find notoriety in that now while it's popular. Um, but it's not a route to longevity mm-hmm. that's going to die off very soon, in my opinion. And Peter McKinnon did not follow a different Peter McKinnon to get where he is. He got where he is because he followed his own route. It's yeah. important to just make your own content, um, enjoy what you make, make yep. what you enjoy, and you'll sort of find your path through that. And strategizing comes second. Yeah. And, uh, and for me, like the ultimate person to stand out like that, for me, like when like the, per- the person who really hit me the most, I was like, holy it's shit. Me. No, yeah, it's totally, no, no. Um, was actually Casey Neistat. Yeah. All of his found footage style work. Totally. Was what like awakened me into this whole world of videography and like filmmaking and photography. Yeah. Because everything he made was so either high key or low key, like as yeah. in like quality, um, that you're like, you can obviously tell who made that. Right. Just by the look of things. Yeah. Him, Edgar Wright. Like, like these guys have their own unique voice and style that they've spent years crafting. Mm-hmm. And that by, you know, constantly producing, they've been able to afford the respect that they deserve on any right. set and any platform that they decide to stand tall in. But that's not to say that emulating people isn't necessarily a bad thing. No, they it's took a good traits. way to learn. And yeah. like Casey Neistat, he develops his skills from other people. Yeah. But it's an amalgamation yes. of, of skills and things that, you know you like so um what do they call it something copying is the biggest form of flattery yeah whatever um but that's really as far as you'll get you know because it's you don't want to be somebody else yeah you can take their tools and use them and add them to your tool belt but that's what it is it's a tool belt and your tool belt looks different than everyone else's yeah like um so you know what I'll, i'll plug something in like a little homework for anyone who's listening in um like i highly recommend a book called steal like an artist I don't know who it's written by, but because um, it's not coming to my mind right now. But "Steal Like an Artist" is brilliant because it defines the line, in my opinion, of stealing and copywriting. Right. So when you steal like an artist, it means you're stealing inspiration, you're stealing aspects, you're stealing things that are not particularly the exact same work of art, but you're stealing techniques and tools and ideas yeah. from other artists and then combining them together to create a whole different project in its own way right. and understanding what it means to steal because stealing doesn't necessarily mean you know you're you know it's like a bad thing it means that you're actually taking something that someone else produced and then you know reforming it and creating and molding it with a little bit of yourself in it so by the time that you know the more and more work you produce right down the line by stealing from other people mm-hmm. the more and more you're starting to craft okay i like this aspect oh i can pull this off really easily this is what i like and then it kind of morphs and becomes your own voice because 
it takes on several traits from other people, but that's in your own way and in your own perspective. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I highly recommend that book. Floyd and I read it religiously. Great. Awesome. Well, unless you guys have anything else you want to say on creativity, on rates, I think we've covered a lot of ground yeah. today. I think we did, but we, I'm sure we could have gone, kept going. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Like, this is <laughs> well, something that we could have gone more on, but. It's been really good having you guys on this first, the first episode. You guys are the flagship, Boom. the flagship uh, guests on this thing. Way good. Anyway. Can't wait um, to be on more. Oh yeah. <laughs> you'll be on, you'll be on more. Okay. Sweet. Sweet. So what's your guys' uh, social media for the people out there? They want to find um, out what you guys do. So on Instagram, for everyone who uh, you know is still making for the gram, uh, I am at rvlph.g, so at Ralph G. It'll be on the screen. Yeah, exactly. I'm trying to be all bougie with the A turning into a V, but you know what? It's because somebody already took my other name, and I don't like the idea of Restless Ralph anymore. I want sleep. I need sleep, so I can't be restless. You're rested Ralph now. Yeah, <laughs> well-rested Ralph. <laughs> I'm no longer rested anymore. Like, like <laughs> I, I have just been like the last two days I've only had like two hours of sleep per night. And then yeah. only today I've only had six hours of sleep and that's low oh. for the recommended amount for an adult. Totally. Yeah. Floyd. Uh, I'm the underscore Floyd underscore G. Oh my gosh. Cool. It wasn't exactly what he wanted. I mean, I just wanted it to be Floyd, <laughs> but obviously someone else took that. So I, again, it's like it's, those old Xbox gamer. Yeah. Yeah. Would have been like <laughs> XX Floyd or something like XX that. XX Floyd. Oh my gosh. That sounds like an, an adult handle there. Probably. Uh, oh, he is. All right. Cool, guys. I'm going to cut it here. Thank yeah, you. That's great. Okay. Thank you so much for listening to the very first episode of Sounds Like Mike. If you want to hear more, there's a pilot episode available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and YouTube, everywhere that you can listen to this podcast. You can subscribe to it and make sure that you're notified for the next episode as well. Like I said, there's a podcast, uh, there's a pilot episode that you can go check out right now if you want to have a little bit more. If you want to continue the conversation, hit out Ruff and Floyd. Their social media links are going to be in the description of this podcast or the YouTube video, depending on where you're watching it. And hit me up on Twitter or Instagram at FilmMiker. I'd love to keep talking to you about everything that we talked about today or whatever else might be on your mind. Anyway, that said, thanks for watching, and I will see you in the next episode of Sounds Like Mike.